Welcome to the Language of Ahava podcast, a podcast for families with young children. So what happens when a rabbi and an early childhood teacher walk into a podcast? I think it's going to be fun, and I'm sure it's going to be about connections. Hi, I'm Karen DeWister, and I'm the early childhood teacher. And I'm David Steinhardt. I'm the senior rabbi at B'nai Torah Congregation. Every conversation that I have with Karen is always fascinating and leads to new ideas. So joining together with Karen, making connections together is really what our goal is. I thank you because what the perspective that you bring to my world and my experiences from the Torah, from tradition, from community, um, from parenthood and grandfatherhood, it's all magnificent. So here comes our podcast. Uh, we'll be posting every other Friday just before Shabbat because we want to make these connections with you. And when you give a little ahava, you make this world a better place. I'm ready, Karen. Let's get going. Here we go. Hi, everyone. It is episode number five of the Language of Ahava podcast for parents with young children. We have a great topic today, and I feel like I have to say it with a little sassiness. It's like, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. We're getting ready for a new year for Yom Kippur. And what better than two rabbis, my co-host, Rabbi David Steinhardt and Rabbi Amy Pessa. I am so very, very happy. Rabbi Steinhardt, welcome to our joint venture. Um, what do you think going forward with, uh, unap- let's go forward unapologetically. <laughs> no, I won't no. do that. We have to go <laughs> forward apologetically because part of this whole deal is the fact that we recognize ourselves as we truly are. That is, we are human beings of flesh and blood who are prone to error and prone to make mistakes. And I think when we are able to see that in ourselves, then we're able to become more comfortable with ourselves because we're not different than other people in that way. And what we're always aspiring to is to make our lives better, we do that by making our relationships better. So there's there's so much in this. It's so weighty. There's so many different levels. And I know we're going to get to this because we're going to speak about, well, what do we do with these holy days with children? And what do we do with these holy days with ourselves? And I think they're very, very different things. And one of the challenges that I think Amy and I feel dealing with an adult community is that so many of us have come into adulthood with very um, simple ideas as to what this tradition is meant to say or is saying. And it's very deep and it's very sophisticated and it's very, very soulful and challenging on so many different levels. So I think that, by the way, for those of you who don't know or didn't see when I spoke about it, this idea of living unapologetically Karen's been joking with me about it because I saw a series of signs on the new um, uh, luxury hotel and apartments being built downtown Boca. And one of the signs says, live beautifully. The other sign says, live comfortably. The other sign says, live, I don't know, exclusively. And then there's one that says, live unapologetically. And I had to take a picture of it because the truth is this time of year is telling us, no, we can't be unapologetic. That 
it's really important that we learn how to apologize. So, Amy, I'm really happy that you're in this conversation. I will tell the people watching that Amy uh, does a lot of different things as a rabbi in this community. And amongst the things that she does is she works at B'nai Torah and works with, uh, a re- leads a renewal service, which has added a whole new and a deeper spiritual level to our work. So, Amy, what do you, I'm sure a lot of thoughts have jumped into your mind and are circling around in your head right now. What do you have? Yeah, that is true. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited and honored to be a guest on this podcast, this Ahava podcast, a great name. I think ultimately it is all about love, unconditional love. And so I just want to have that little plug, even though it's off script of the I'm sorry, not sorry, because I think that so much about raising children is about love and unconditional love and being able to say, I'm sorry, especially as an adult, I think serves as a great role model. Oftentimes I think as parents, we feel like, oh, I should know the answer to everything. And my kids are looking up to me and I'm responsible and I have to know how to figure it all out. And what I'd like to offer is that, no, you don't. What you need to do is show up in love and honesty And sometimes with apologies, you know, I have apologized to my kids on numerous occasions. They'll probably say I haven't apologized enough, but I have apologized when I feel like I messed up. And part of that apology, um, I'll say it because they're older now, but really did have an ulterior motive. And that was to teach my kids that it's okay to make mistakes. And it's important to be able to say, I'm sorry. So, Um, Rabbi Amy... Um, because of your connection with the renewal services and this idea of unconditional love and Rabbi's comment, Rabbi Steinhardt's comment about humanness, where I'm hearing before we can even talk about saying sorry to our children, making mistakes for our children, how do we as the adults accept our limitations. I I think that that has to be part of this reflection of this time of year that says, I'm not perfect. Uh, Where I am may or may not even be close to where I want to be. And I I might, anyways, I I feel like if we, we can have that conversation that you just described with a child with ourselves. Does that sound true to you? It sounds very true. So I'll share um, a quick thought and then pass it back to Rabbi Steinhardt. One of my favorite teachings, which we read in the Talmud, it talks about a Mishnah that is taught, um, sort of piece of uh, law, so to speak. Rabbi Eliezer says, it teaches that repentance, um, what you're supposed to repent the day before you die, right? And the question is, well, how do you know the day you're going to die? And so the key is, well, you should be repenting every day. But the reason that this whole idea of repentance is important is the Midrash teaches us that even before the world was created, repentance was created. So God knew that we were going to mess up. Like even before the world came into being, there was an understanding that humans are fallible. And so this is the time of year for me to really remember those teachings, to live in humility and to not beat myself up so much when I make a mistake. The days are referred to as uh, the 10 days of penitence or repentance. The language is not a language that, you know, contemporary uh, 
American public uses. We don't like to even think of the word repentance. I have a teacher who taught me something really beautiful about what repentance is. And it's the following, you know, repentance, the word teshuva is related to the word for return. So what are we returning to? And this is, this I think is really beautiful. And that is, if you see yourself as having the capacity of walking on a path, hand in hand with either the image of yourself as you, as you aspire it to be, or I'll even give a more powerful image. If you're walking on a path with the Holy One, with God, the truth is you can't stay on that path because you're human. They're, you're just going to go off that path. And that's going to happen consistently. Teshuva is about saying, I want to go back to that path that I want to turn from the direction that I've moved off the path and go on the path. And what's on that path? Well, what's on that path is something that's really authentic, something that's really honest, something that is very loving, something is that is the, 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 the you you want to be or the me I want to be. And so, I and you. I love that notion of repentance. Yeah. I love you both so much in what you're saying. But I have to, I'm the two-year-old brain. So what I hear you both saying, as, and especially with the repentance every day, that we are going to make mistakes every day. Our children are going to make mistakes every day. But when you're walking on that path, or whether when you're asking for the repentance every day, my hunch, and Rabbi, you hinted at that old language, is that this is not a language about a punitive source, a punitive God, in the same way that apologizing for children can't be blind obedience to, don't hit your friends, say you're sorry. So, Mm -hmm. I do see enormous parallels between Mm -hmm. the unconditional love, the, the repentance, not for someone, it is to someone, because in those mistakes, we, we get to apologize. Yeah. We get to make amends, but it's not because someone is demanding it of us. So right. I need, I need an, a, a, a repentance for 2021. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, and then let's like go to, to children. Things. I'd like not to say two punitive. things about it, Karen, and maybe it can bring us a little bit deeper or to another place. And that is it, right. It's not a repentance from someone for but to someone in the sense that it is the love that should bring you back to that person whom you've hurt or bring you back to the, the aspiring human being, the human being you aspire to be or bring you back to God. But I think there's a, there is a pitfall. <clears throat> and this is something that I see a lot. And that is people, there are, we know these characters who very easily and quickly say, I'm sorry. And they find that in the language of I'm sorry, a capacity to move forward without any real serious remorse. And so I'm not saying that one shouldn't say I'm sorry, but before one says I'm sorry, one should feel that remorse, that what one did, and then address it. And I think that's what we have to do with the kids. You know, you know, a kid, a kid throws a toy at another kid. The mother grabs him by the arm and says, say you're sorry. That's right. Not enough. Well, it's, it, it, enough. it's an interruption in that moment. It's a fix where what we do in the classroom, and especially I have the youngest of children, 
those 18 months, those two-year-olds that are really in conflict reactively, we'll say, oh, look, she's crying. Look, that hurt her. When in doubt, and I always feel like I'm starting building from ground up, I don't want you to describe all the feelings yet. Oh, you're frustrated. Oh, you're angry. I want you to say, whoa, that hit her. I want you to describe exactly what transpired in some way that a child can then go, what happened? That happened? I'm an agent in that? Because so often when we do hurtful, reactive things, we're out of control. And it's not by choice. It's by possession. (laughs) But but, but to help our children de-escalate to then figure out, oh, what did I do? I don't even know. Or we all know it with, with adult relationships, spouses, where we'll like say something and go, I'm going to say it whether I think it hurts or not, because I yeah. just need to. Yeah. Anyway, and, so. I, Karen, I think that what you said is so important, especially for the time in which we're living. And what came up for me was the moment of pause, right? We are in such a rush to get the next text, to get the next email, to go to the next activity, to go to the next assignment, to make the next meal, to go to the next job, whatever it is, but we rarely take the time to pause. And so when we insert that pause and we say to the child, right? We say to our children, I remember doing this, like, let's just, let's sit down for a minute. Do you see that your sister's crying? Why do you think she might be crying? To, To pause, just stop. Instead of rushing and throwing words in our kids' mouths. We'll say you're sorry. Let's sit back for a second. Let's look around. Let's, you know, sort of there was this another um, way to get the, the child who was out of control to calm down as well, right? So like, let's pause. Let's, what's this, let's assess and see what's happening. How do you think they might be yeah. feeling? And then the other thing is with the pause and then the proper kind of expression of what, the impact of the action was, is that there is the capacity to teach empathy. And I think, you know, when I, I know, you know, as the the father of adult children, seeing them behave empathically with their own, with their own children or in any situation really makes me feel so good about who they are as people. And teaching empathy is, is, Empathy has to be taught. It's modeled, and that's the most important way that it's taught. You know, empathic parents tend to have empathic children, but not necessarily all the time because you have to specifically teach it too. Imagine how that feels to be hit by the car that was thrown at you. That's why he's crying. How do you think it would feel to you? Exactly, exactly. Beautifully said. Actually, we need to catch those moments But Rabbi, it's shocking. There's something called the goldfish experiment. And at 18 months, children will give a researcher their preferred snack, whether it's goldfish or broccoli, based on what that researcher says they like. Where at 16 months, they just always give goldfish because they're like, you must like what I like. So there is a sense cognitively, emotionally, where children want to be tuned in to someone else's feelings. But, but again, the teaching is the awareness in the moments because every moment, every social interaction, 
opens our eyes and our hearts and our understanding to new experiences. Um, yeah, so- can I jump in with one other thought? As you were you were sharing that, what came to me is um, the importance of not just sort of focusing on that negative emotion. I know we're talking about sorry, but to also take the pause during the happy moments, right? Like, wow, look how happy you made your friend. You just shared your toy with them. So we don't want our kids to be programmed that when we sit and take a pause, oh my gosh, this is negative. So it's just really teaching them about pauses in the moment to get in touch with their emotional state, positive and negative. And I do believe that empathy is the mitzvah. It's, it's the misvote. It's, the, it's all the things we do that allow us to be connected and to feel and see those connections because the, it happens. It, it, you're right. It absolutely cannot just happen in the, in the mistakes and the flaws. Um, but let's, let's talk. I do think, I think it's an active process also. That is, it's not just for the parent. Not, it's not just saying, how did you feel when you do that? Or how do you think that person feels? I think we have to help our children develop a language of feeling, you know, to be able to, I'm, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling mad. I'm feeling hungry. I'm feel, you know, like, and when, when, and look at that, that's not just for children. I mean, that works really well when you come home after from a day of work (laughs) with your spouse, because you know, that you are reactive to situations, not most of the time, not because of what's happening externally, but because of what you're feeling internally. And so I agree that awareness and and the connection, the the looking in one another's eyes, the paying attention, the creating space for um, that sensitivity. But I I need to go back now to how we manage mistakes for children, because I think our parents, um, we talked about a little bit in the last podcast, when our children become a reflection of us and they're acting in ways that we aren't proud of or we think that their behavior today is going to make them an axe murderer 25 years from now or a psychopath because they are being a little bit off the rails. Um, how, How do we, in this context of daily repentance, daily mistakes, help our children without shame um, own and take responsibility for mistakes? Well, I can share what we used to do. Uh, not a very um, favored dinnertime conversation talk, but a very um, planned, from my perspective, conversation. And that was, we're going to go around the table. We're going to share one thing that happened today that was positive, And we're going to share one thing that wasn't so positive and maybe someplace where you made a mistake. And my husband and I were included in that conversation. So we really would share with them, you know, I accidentally, whatever, I accidentally um, rammed the back of the car into the parking pole <laughs> or whatever it was, you know, I hurt my friend's feelings or I didn't show up in the way that I wanted to. So it was really something that was a conversation that we modeled and then encouraged our kids to share as well. So to Rabbi Steinhardt's point that it's active teaching, in hindsight, are your children happy you did that? (laughs) Um, I hope they would say yes. I think they are uh, really incredible, empathetic children, young adults now. 
And, um, you know, I was actually talking with my daughter before this podcast. She's now 19. And I said to her, you know, can you tell, can you remind me what I used to tell you about saying sorry? And she reminded me very interestingly, she, when she was in middle school, she used to say she was sorry for everything. I don't know if it was just gender. I didn't have it with my boys, but it's almost the reverse of wanting our children to learn to say they're sorry. And she had to sort of unlearn that behavior as a middle schooler. So again, it's always about balance. We don't want to be enforcing so much with our kids that they pick something up and it drops and I'm sorry. Right? So how do we um, learn to temper and teach them appropriate uses of I'm sorry? I'm sorry for, right? Not just I'm sorry, I'm sorry for hurting your feelings. I'm sorry for breaking your favorite vase. Thank you for that. That's huge. And it is absolutely a gender issue or has been um, or of over-apologetic females. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, as Amy was saying it, I thought about something. It's almost like a, a thought experiment that I've seen or I've been, I've been doing for years now. Sometimes you accidentally walk into people, particularly when places are more crowded. I mean, during during uh, COVID, we don't do much walking into people. But one of the things that I have noticed is that when, if, if I were to bump into a woman, she always says, oh, I'm sorry. And often I will, I, I don't want to embarrass her, but I'll say, you don't have to be sorry. I walked into you. You know, like that, that there is this sense that of apologies that, that come from feeling weaker. And I think it's really important then to know, you know, when when it's really legitimate to apologize and when you don't have to apologize. I know they're being kind, but I just feel like, you know, women do have to have to have power in this too. And to go full circle, I do as I've been thinking about the un- unapologetic, there is something about the sorry not sorry that I think was intended to be a moving forward from blind obedience, blind politeness, blind ingratiating um, that is an attempt to say, I have a voice and I don't have to apologize for my voice. So it is nuanced, but um, we have absolutely taken it too far now. Um, Rabbis, may I give you both um, a wrap-up message to young families approaching this time of year? A A final thought for young parents. Rabbi Amy? My message would be you're doing great. Regardless of what you think or the tape you may be playing in your mind, you are doing an incredible job. As long as you show up with the love that you have for your child, the rest of the details will get ironed out. Have trust in your faith and in your community that is here to support you and wishing you a Shana Tova, a very sweet, healthy, safe new year. Thank you. And Rabbi Amy has a parenting book called Parenting on a Prayer. I will put a link up for that when we get to the post the podcast. Um, she will be here in October for renewal services. And you have a website or another place where everyone can find you? I do. It's called asoulfuljourney.com. And you can put that up as well. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Rabbi Steinhardt, closing words. I think that um, we have been given a gift of a supportive community and also a a tradition that really helps us enter into these very important conversations. This conversation could be taken and secularized 
but we also see it as part of the kind of the religious call. You know, like there's a there's a a compelling demand on us to do what we can to do make things a little better and make things a little sweeter. So there are two rituals that you'll do with your kids. One is dipping apples in honey or dipping challah in honey. And that what we're doing with that is we're saying, this is sweet and this is how we want this world to be. And this is what we're feeling now as we eat this together with our family. And the other ritual is those of you who, you're all invited to come to Tashli, where we'll stand by the lake outside the synagogue and we'll throw breadcrumbs into the water. And we have to know, we have to teach that these are things, we have to think about what are things about ourselves we'd like to do a little better. And let's take those things we don't like so much and throw them away. We all do it and we all can do it. Thanks. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully you'll come back and speak with us some more. As one rabbi to another rabbi, I really appreciate your words and your thought. Thank you. Thank you. The feeling is very mutual. I'm so honored to be here. Karen, thank you as well for your wisdom. I appreciate being present with you. Thank you all so much. Have a a sweet new year. Shana 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 Tova. Thank you so much for listening today, for being part of this moment, for being part of these Ahava connections, and for trying to give a little Ahava to one another. Thank you to my co-host, Rabbi David Steinhardt, for always adding timeless wisdom and a meaningful connection to our world and to this podcast. Thank you, B'nai Torah Congregation, for being our community of support and a place to share with one another. You hold us together in a world that is too often pulling us apart. Thank you to Cantor Magda Fishman for your voice, your whistling, your song, and the soul that you bring to everything you do. If you don't know Cantor Fishman, please check her out at B'nai Torah Services. You will be transformed and inspired. Finally, thank you to the Jewish Federation of South Palm Beach County for helping to fund this Ahava podcast and Ahava Nature Shabbat. And to our Ahava Malahim, our angels, the families who also help underwrite these Ahava projects. For more information about B'nai Torah Congregation, the website is btcboca.org. You can also find me, Karen Deerwester, at familytimeinc.com. Until next time, Shabbat Shalom, and give a little Ahava. Take care. When you give a little love, you see, you make this world a better place, a much better place to be. When you give a little ahava, when you give a little love, you'll see, you'll make this world a better place, a much better place to be. You'll make this world a better place, a much better place to be.